great time of worship this morning, especially with that last song, and um, thankful um, for that. Um, my name is Philip Brand. I'm the pastor here. You may be visiting here for the first time and wondering who I am. That's, that's who I am. Of course, you saw me up there. Doesn't matter. Nonetheless, there you go. Um, I had a, a vision last night. I had a vision, and um, I have ascertained that a team with the color red will win the Super Bowl. I don't know exactly what all that means, but a team with red will win. That's 100% correct, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. If you're visiting, I don't have visions. Just letting you know that. Um, I received an email this week. Actually, it was Friday, I think it was. No, yeah, Friday. And um, it was from two of our deacons, Roger Dole, which is in the back, awesome, and Roger Miller, which is right here. Now, Roger Miller didn't type the email, right? Right? Yeah. He has a flip phone. Um, so, so, so back here, so back here, you know, Roger Dole, he sent an email, and I love, I just want to like, we have elders here, we have three elders, awesome, love these guys. And I love the deacons. I just love the deacons here. And uh, this is what the email said. <clears throat> Dear FBC family. Now, it didn't go out to everybody. I can explain why. Because there was people that volunteered for this particular thing at a business meeting. So don't let that play in your mind. All right. So here's what it says. We are going to split wood tomorrow, Saturday, February 1st, 2020. Hope you can come. 9 a.m. behind the FBC buildings. One of our church ladies needs firewood. First 10 to arrive, get a sausage biscuit. (laughs) So then I visualize like church people camping out, you know, you know, trying to be the first 10 to get in, you know, whatever. That was great. But it didn't, it didn't end there. It didn't end there. Wood splitters needed. Four-wheel drive trucks needed. I don't know where they're splitting wood, but they needed four-wheel drive trucks. Young men with strong arms. Old men with whatever you have left. (laughs) Thank you, Roger Dole, Roger Miller. So then someone responded to the email that was coming out. His name is Carl Stoltz. And he says... I'll be there at 8.59 a.m., so save me a sausage biscuit. Please leave time for me, just a few minutes, to clean my dentures afterwards. (laughs) So, this is what scripture says about all that. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, The main deacon's job is to minister to widows, to orphans, to those in need, to uh, disperse benevolence funds to people that need them. And they're an amazing group in our church. I would like um, all the deacons, if you will, stand. And we just want to give you a a clap of applause for thankful for your ministry. Very thankful. All right, with that said, let's turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 5. 
Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5. <clears throat> if someone finds a giant print, thick, burgundy Bible just laying around somewhere, it's mine. I am now reading from the small print inspired version of the scriptures this morning. So if something happens, it happens. Okay. So here we go. Numbers 5. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone... Oh, you can see those words. It's awesome. It helps when you're preaching to be able to see. Okay, here we go. So I'm going to start again. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp as the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when a man or woman commits any of the sins that the people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed and he shall make full restitution for his wrong adding a fifth to it and giving it to him whom he did the wrong. But if the man has no next of kin to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for wrong shall go to the Lord for the priest in addition to the ram of atonement with which the atonement is made for him. And every contribution, all the holy donations of the people of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his. Each one shall keep his holy donations, whatever anyone gives to the priest shall be his. This is a very um, striking uh, passage of scripture. The first thing that strikes me is that um, people that are leprous and people that have a discharge out of their body, it's it's not like normal discharges. Now, I'm not going to explain those because you should know those, Okay. Not normal discharges, but discharges that are different. Like if you had um, some type of um, something on your face that discharged or, or, or some type of discharge that wasn't natural, wasn't normal, you know, wasn't a normal discharge, you were supposed to be put out of the camp and anyone that touched anyone dead or was around anyone dead was to be put out of the camp. Now, up until this point, all these people are living in the camp and in the center of the camp is what's called the tabernacle which is the dwelling place of God. And so God speaks to Moses and he says, look, there's some people that doesn't need to be in the camp and here they are. Um, They're people that have leprosy or a skin disease. You need to put them outside of the camp and you need to find everybody that has a weird discharge coming out of them that they need to get outside of the camp, runny nose, whatever it is. And then you need to get all the people that have been around a dead body and put them out of the camp. Now, they did this, and this was a large group of people. 
a large group of people that they put outside of the camp. So I want you to visualize this. There was a group of people that went tent to tent to tent to tent to tent, and they found these people, and they escorted them outside of the camp. Now, if we fast forward to 2020, do you think anyone would be able to get away with this? No, there would be an outcry. Why are these people different? Well, they're different. Well, anyway, why are these people different? So we back up, and here's all these people coming outside the camp, and we know that leprosy and skin diseases are contagious, right? Discharges, certain discharges from your body are contagious. People that die sometimes die from things that are contagious, So this whole rule was really to get people outside of the camp so more people wouldn't die. So there's a practical aspect to this, taking all these people and putting them outside of the camp. Now, there was a ritual, a seven-day ritual that you had to go through to make sure you were clean enough to get back inside the camp, okay? So they wanted to make sure that you were no longer contagious. That's true. And that is the reason why they did this. However, there is a striking verse in here, verse 3, that says this. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. In other words, God is saying that where I dwell and in the camp that I dwell has to be Disease-free, period, disease-free. Everybody in my camp and where I dwell has to be well and of good health. That's, that's pretty significant, isn't it? Pretty significant. So fast forward to the New, New Testament. Jesus Christ loved leper, lepers. He healed them, right? In Mark, he, he actually touched one of them and healed him. So he healed him in order for him to be able to be in the presence of God. He touched a woman with a discharge. She had gone to a ton of doctors. She had been everywhere, but she had this discharge going on. And he touched her and he healed her. And she was able to be in the presence of God. He went, actually, he didn't go. This um, boy was passing by him. It was a funeral procession. And he went up to the funeral procession and touched the mat that he was being carried on, and this person rose from the dead. In other words, resurrection means that you can still dwell with God. So you fast forward to when Jesus comes back, and we have a midnight cry, And you have no sickness in heaven and nobody dies because in the presence of God, everybody is healthy. Come on, church. That is the future. That is the goal. This right here, the the numbers passage where we're putting people outside of the camp, well, that's a picture of what's to come. Now, leprosy in Scripture, if you want to go a little bit deeper into the deeper, I don't even know what deeper means. Deeper means that you didn't really understand what the pastor was saying. And you went out and you said, oh, man, that was deep. That just meant I have no clue what he said, but he was really into it. Okay, so we'll back up. 
So deep. If you go a little bit further in this picture, you start to realize that leprosy represents sin. You also realize that discharges represent sin. You also come to realize that death is the result of sin. So it's a picture of sin putting out, being placed outside of the camp. So in heaven, when the midnight cry comes and everybody's healthy, it's not just that. There's no sin in heaven either. And that's an amazing thing. If there's no sin in heaven, everybody, everybody is on the same page. Everybody is doing what's right. It is all good, like it's never been good before, and it's an amazing thing. And everybody that is still in their sin, that hasn't received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that hasn't taken that step to be a part of that midnight cry, is placed outside of the camp in torment and fire. And it's a lake that burns for eternity. So God gets rid of all the people who don't want to accept him. I mean, if we're really honest, it's what he's doing. And he saves those who has accepted his son as their savior. So outside of the camp. At the end of the day, this all has to do with the relationship. It has to do with the God that loved everybody in the world so much that he sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty of their sin and rose three days later so you can have life. It's all about that. It's all about God offering that to the entire world for God so loved the world. And you can either accept it or reject it. But if you reject it, you're going to be outside of the camp when the midnight cry happens. And if you accept him, you're going to be inside the camp where there's no tears, no sorrow, no pain. Oh, what a day. I cannot wait to see my grandmother who died of a disease, healthy in heaven. And she will be around the age of 33 years old. The scripture teaches you're in the prime of life. Your old grandmother, which is all wrinkly when she died, is younger than you are right now, healthier than you are right now, breathes better than you do right now, is a lot better worshiping God than you are right now. And that is a hope, that is a promise, that is a surety, and that is what I'm excited about. Just excited about all that. So then you go a little further into... Um, numbers, because we have to go back to this is now. God wants people to be pure in his presence. Wants them to be pure. So in verse 5, it says this, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth of it and giving it to whom he did the wrong. Did you catch that? You see, if I do something against you, if I personally do something against you, I am first of all breaking faith with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'm breaking faith with him. There is something that is now impure about the way that I'm living when I have done something and wronged one of you. It's the same thing for you. If you have wronged someone else, you have broken faith with God, first of all. See, we often think that it's just about me and that person. 
me and my wife, me and my, my family, me and my friend, me, me and this person over here, myself and this guy or this lady or whatever. We think that it's just between us two, but it's really not. First and foremost, you have brought broken faith with God. You've broken a relationship with him because you have sinned against another person. So in the scripture, it says clearly that you have broken faith with God. And if you want to restore that faith, restore that relationship with God, then what you must do is make it right with the person that you have wronged. See, we talk, we talk a lot about, and I, I've, I've done this here, we talk a lot about that person that has done me wrong. That person, how do I deal with that? How do I deal with someone that has done me wrong? However, this passage of scripture deals with me, deals with you, when you actually do someone else wrong. You do them an injustice. You treat them incorrectly. You lie to them. You manipulate them. You do whatever it is that you have done to them. Anytime that you do that, whether it's in, in a gossip setting, right, or whether it's face-to-face, you have broken a relationship with God the Father, and you have to fix it. So you have to take a step to fix it. You have to take a step to go above and beyond the apology. How many of you have a microwave in your house? Everybody have a microwave in your house? I've got a microwave. Um, my dad doesn't have a microwave. He has a, it's from the 80s, like when the Atari was out. He has a, um, a, radi, a radar machine. They will not get a microwave, but they love that radar machine. Did anybody ever have a radar machine? Yeah, oh, my dad, my dad and my mom. It's probably worth a lot of money, um, it's still almost exactly the way it was when it was taken out of the box. She, she cleans it all the time, right? She keeps it clean. She, she polishes it. She pol- my mother polishes. Thank you. I'm glad somebody else has right. She polishes it. In fact, if you were to go to my mom and dad's house right now, all of their stuff in their house, and I'm not really making fun of them. It's just amazing to me. All of their stuff is almost exactly the way it was when they bought it, except for an occasional mixer. My mom keeps things forever. But nonetheless, she cleans everything, and it looks almost new. The floors look almost new. Everything looks... They take pride in making sure that their house looks pure. Now, if you were to go to my house and open the microwave, ding, you may see a pethra of food that has been encountered over a period of time, Okay? We now have this thing that magnetically seals to the top of the microwave so that when stuff goes, it at least goes into the plastic thing. But some people in my house, I'm not pointing out who, um, it's not the older one, but nonetheless, the other people in my house haven't figured out that you're supposed to really take the thing off the top of the microwave and put it over the dish because if you leave it magnetically on the top and it goes like this, yes, the thing does catch it, but so does the rest of the walls and stuff like that, okay? Now, I cannot, I know this is going to be shocking to some of you, I cannot even warm up water in a microwave that has all that going on. I I can't do, I just cannot do it. So I go to the cabinet, and I get the Windex, and I get a rag, 
and I go to the microwave and I clean the microwave. My wife hates the fact that I use Windex to do all of this. But Windex cuts through all that stuff very easily and I can wipe it out, sterilize it, and then do my water, right? See, I like to listen to older people and I saw an older Greek guy one time that um, put Windex on cuts and My big fat Greek wedding, not recommending the move, but just saying that's where I saw it from. So I thought it was a great idea. I don't put it on cuts, but I do everything else. So I'm squirting my microwave, and I'm making it because that microwave has to be clean before I do anything inside of it. Anybody else like that in the room? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, right back there. Thank you. Right back there. The people that wrote, you know, you raised your hand, um, we're going to last longer than everybody else. That's just what's going to happen. We're going to last long. So, so the microwave has to be clean. It has to be pure. There's something holy that has to be a part of the microwave before I stick my food inside of it and I'm going to consume it. Listen, God requires you inside of yourself to be holy and pure for him to be able to talk to you. This is why he went through the cross. This is why he shed his blood. This is why he offers you forgiveness if only you just ask for it. But one step further than that, he says that I can't restore my relationship with you unless you have taken the steps to restore your relationship with someone else. I can't do it. The New Testament would put it this way. In fact, Jesus would put it this way. If you have sinned or wronged your brother, Leave your sacrifice at the altar and go to that brother to restore your relationship with him before you come back and complete your sacrifice on the altar. What does that mean? That means that if I have wronged someone, I have to go to them and correct that wrong to the best of my ability before I can go back and have any communion with my heavenly father. That's what I have to do. And that's what you have to do too. There are some people in this room, just statistically, I don't know who it is, so just statistically I know this to be, that has done something against someone. They've been praying for something for a very long period of time. It doesn't seem like God is hearing you. It might be, I don't know, it might be because you have wronged someone else and you've never made restitution. Come on, that gets quiet, doesn't it? It might be because you haven't taken the steps to say, I'm sorry, and make restitution with that person. And that is why God is holding out on answering that prayer. And let's continue to read verse 8. But if the man has no next of kin to whom restitution may be made for the wrong. In other words, if I go to um, make restitution and I can't find the person and I can't find the next of kin to do it, then the restitution of wrong shall go to the Lord for the priest in addition to the ram of atonement, which atonement is made for him. And every contribution and all the holy donations of the people of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his. Each one shall keep his holy donations. Whatever anyone gives to the priest shall be his. Now, we do not live under this particular system. I don't know if you know this or not. I am not a priest. I'm a pastor. 
There are 220-some priests in this room right now if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, so we're all priests. So what picture, what is this trying to tell us concerning restitution? Well, in other passages of Scripture, we kind of get, get that idea of what this is actually saying. If I go to a brother and try my best to restore the relationship by saying I'm sorry, and that brother will not forgive me, he still holds it against me. And I've tried and tried and tried till I'm just sick. I'm sick in my soul. I'm sick in my heart. I'm just absolutely sick. And I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And I've done everything that I could possibly do. But that brother will not give me forgiveness, will not help restore the relationship. God says, that's enough. Come to me and I'll restore your relationship. You see, it's not up to you to convince the other person that you are really sorry. Sometimes I get really tired of that. You say you're sorry to somebody, and then all of a sudden, well, are you you really sorry? What is your intent behind that? Are you just sorry because you got caught? Are Are you just sorry just to get out of the particular situation? Look, I don't, I don't care. I don't care about all that. What I care about is when I go to somebody and say, I'm sorry, and I've had the gumption enough to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm sorry. It is now not up to me for that person to forgive me. It's not up to me to convince that person to forgive me. That is on them. And by the way, the message isn't about this, but if they don't forgive, they have broken faith with God and have their own issues. Come on, church. It is up to me to be responsible for me. I know we live in America where we, you know, we're not responsible for me. I'm responsible for me. You're responsible for yourself. You're responsible for your actions. I'm responsible for mine. And if I go up to somebody, you go up to somebody and say that you're sorry. I'm sorry that I did that. I'm sorry that that occurred. Please forgive me. That is all you have to do. And you try and try and try to show them that you're really sorry for it. But if you tried to the nth degree, just go back to God and say, look, I've tried. You know what I've done. Please forgive me for my sin. In this passage of scripture, it says to confess to the Lord. You go back to the Lord and you, and you get on your knees and you say, Lord, I have done wrong against this person. And I am deeply sorry for that wrong. Lord, they won't forgive me. They have a cold shoulder for me. I can feel it. But Lord, I am sorry, and you know it, and I want my relationship with you to be restored, and I pray that you will work on their heart to have them forgive me. But I am really sorry for what I've done. It is at that moment that your relationship with God is restored. Aren't you glad that you don't have to worry about other people's reactions to all of that? Aren't you glad that you don't have to convince them? Come on, aren't you glad? And you restore that relationship. Listen, purity, purity in Scripture has more to do with all of life than it does a sexual act. You need purity in your relationship with God and purity in your relationship with others. If you've done something wrong, you ask forgiveness and they should forgive you. And then you have peace with God. And peace only comes from purity. It is sad 
that God, not really sad, but you'll understand what I'm saying. It is sad that people are less gracious to you than God is to you. But at the same time, it is so awesome that God is so gracious and merciful to us a sinner and will forgive us and restore that relationship when we've done everything that we can do to restore it. Everything that we can do. And he's so gracious and so faithful and we do not serve a God that does this, right? He does this. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're holding guilt because some joker over here isn't giving you forgiveness, come to Jesus. He wants to give you rest. He wants you to lay that burden upon him and go through life knowing that you're pure with him and you've done all that you can. Amen? Right. So then, this is the next section of Scripture. This has to do with the test for adultery. I'm going to let you read that some other time. It has to do with, with a guy that thinks that his wife has committed adultery. And what does that guy do when he thinks that his wife has committed adultery and she's saying, no, I have it, no, I have it, no, I have it. So he's suspicious, suspicious and jealous. Suspicious and jealous of his wife. Um, so there was, a, there was a ritual that they went through to see if she had committed adultery or not. I will tell you right now, I have no clue how that fits in culturally. And you probably don't either. I've read a ton of people that don't know about it, that don't seem to understand it. But here's what I do understand about it. The number one relationship that we have here on earth, aside from your relationship with Christ, is the one that you have with your spouse. It is God, husband, and wife. That's what it is. Children. She's agreeing with me. It's that connection. And if someone has something against their spouse, it has to be resolved. It has to be resolved. If one of the people that are in the marriage suspects the other one of cheating on the other one, that is something that has to either be confirmed or denied at some level. And so there's steps that you go through in order to make sure that she or he didn't do it or they did do it so that you can deal with the issue if the man in this particular text just let it sit on his heart that she has been unfaithful to me. She has been unfaithful to me. She has been unfaithful to me. And that is something that he's thinking about 24-7. What do you think it's going to do to that relationship? It's going to start to unravel. Trust will begin to unravel. And what if she is innocent? What if she didn't and it's he ate pizza and feels that way? Or or he had a sugar high and got low. You know, are you tracking? What if there's something psychological with him going on that he's very suspicious of everything happening around him? Sorry, I had, I had visions of Y2K just a minute ago, sorry. It wasn't from God. 
So what if, what if he is suspicious? Well, there has to be some type of steps that you take in order to make sure it isn't. So the, the message from all of that, even though we don't understand it, is this. If we suspect that our marriage partner has had an affair, we need to take the adequate steps to confront that. And if they have, we deal with it. And we try to restore the relationship as much as we can. And if they haven't, we say we're sorry for being jealous and suspicious, and we move on. Because you cannot continue to move on in a relationship that you think is no longer pure. I say all of that to go one step further. This is also a picture of God's relationship with Israel. And Israel committed adultery against God later in Scripture. And so when they did that, they broke apart from God and his holiness, and they did their own thing. But God took the steps that was needed in order to restore that relationship. One step further than that, the church, the bride of Christ, can commit adultery against the one that saved her. Right? Let me explain to you what that looks like, just so that you know. And it's really basically one thing. The moment that a church quits believing this and they start taking this and molding it into the culture and what the culture says is right, and then they look back on the Bible to say, it really isn't in there, this isn't really there, blah, blah, blah. That is the moment that there has been an unfaithfulness to Jesus Christ. Church? The Bible is what keeps us pure. The Bible is what keeps us holy. The Bible is what tells us what is right, what is wrong. And it is the Bible that we follow. It is not my opinions about the Bible. It is not society telling me what the Bible should say. It is the Bible telling me what it says, and we proclaim it to others, we believe it, and we follow it with 100% of our ability. And it's really, when we're following, no questions asked. Now, does that mean that I don't ask questions about the Bible? Oh, of course I ask questions about the Bible. There's some things in the Bible. I don't even understand why they're in there. Sometimes I don't even understand why we have to do particular things. Sometimes I don't. Your pastor doesn't understand why Jesus, why God has told me to do certain things in a certain way. But this is what I know. God knows what he is doing. And God wants us to dwell with him. And God is holy. And if I am even going to be able to come close to a holy presence, I'm going to have to make sure that I am pure before him in that presence. Amen? And I'm going to have to confess my sins and enter boldly into the presence of God to have a relationship with him. And so I say, if the Bible says it, that's what we do. That is what we do. Because I want to be in the presence of God. I want him to guide this church and, and guide us into the community and have us be a bright light to the community. And the only way that happens is if we all live according to the words that are written right here. Amen? Never step away. Never step away.
God dwells in the camp. God dwells at 1835 Farmington Road in this building. He dwells here. God should dwell in your home. God should dwell in your relationships. God should dwell in your personal life. And you should consider all of your life sacred because God dwells inside of you if you received him as your personal savior. God dwells with you. So to end, I would like us all to stand and we're going to do a responsive reading. It will be on the screen. I am going to read the black screen. You are going to read the white screen. Okay? So I'm the black screens. You're the white screens. Here we go. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The aim... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The words... Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling, quarreling or in jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The precepts. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Let's pray.